Hello and welcome to The Grey Nado, a Hodinky podcast. It's a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving, gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 91, and it's proudly sponsored by Braemont Watches. And Braemont has an exciting new release, so let's stay tuned uh, for a bit more later in the show. Yeah, and if you if you can hear from the room sound, we're, we're both in New York for some meetings, and uh, Jason, it's great to see you. Yeah, great. I, I'm just here for a day, but you know, we wanted to take the opportunity to uh, meet up here. At, we're actually at the Hodinkee offices, and and uh, great new space. Uh, they just opened some new offices here, and and I got a, a quick tour from uh, from everybody, and just great to see some old faces. I, I think last time I was in New York was, gosh, in the spring. I think we met mm-hmm. up at the yeah, Bremont Townhouse thing. Yeah. So, I mean, that was another one where we, where we recorded in kind of a live room. We're in a room in Hodinkee's new offices. It's not a perfect room. They're currently working on a podcast studio. And normally, Jason and I do this from the extreme quiet of our own home. Uh, so you do get a face-to-face, but you might also get a little bit of echo. And, of course, I'll do my best to mitigate that. But uh, we appreciate a little bit of flexibility on the audio quality on the top there. So... It's uh, Yeah, it's nice to be in New York. Uh, we had a nice breakfast this morning. and We don't get to do a lot of things face-to-face, especially hang out. Like, right. Often, like with the Braemont thing, you, I see you, but we're socializing and, and you're on other people's schedules and other people's pages. So uh, it's nice to be able to spend like a day yeah. with you. And then oddly enough, we, we get to spend more time together next week doing a project that we kind of can't talk about, but a, a really, really interesting project that we'll share more about once it's live. Yeah, two weeks in a row. Wow. Yeah, uh, I like this pattern. This is good. Yeah, very cool. And, and today, if we get some time, we're going to sneak off to head up to the Upper East Side, go to the Explorers Club, um, maybe grab a drink there and just... Uh, take a peek around all the old yeah, artifacts. Ne- I've never been. So that sounds like an absolute blast for me. And I've, I've you know, I've been, it, it, I finally got to a point where I, I've handed in a few things. We're going to record this and I actually kind of have an afternoon wow. off, which is a first in a while. So I'm, I'm excited. And, uh, and the Explorers Club, you've uh, spoken about it in the past with uh, very glowing reviews. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll grab uh, maybe some Thai food tonight and then I'm out of here tomorrow morning and then we see each other again next week. Uh, yeah. About a week from today. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Anything, uh, anything else new as far as uh, comings and goings or not so much? No. I mean, you know, we've had uh, the summer kind of winding down and, and I guess the last time we spoke, I had come back from my, my dive trip up in Michigan. And since then, it's just been kind of getting feedback on, on dry land and uh, just plugged in my Rolex review story, uh, which I would assume by the time this episode's up, uh, should be live and people can read about that. Really it's a really cool. fun one to write. Uh, some great photographs, both from Gashani on the kind of a close-up product side, and then my friend Chris, who did a lot of the dive photos. So excited to see the reaction to that uh, that one. Um, yeah, I, actually, I thought you know since we recorded last was the release of the the new Land Rover Defender, mm-hmm. and a few people have written to me and said, "Oh, you, are you guys going to talk about it on the next TGN?" And uh, it just occurred to me we we probably should you know kind of rehash that a bit. I mean, I'm I'm an old pre-Defender Land Rover owner and and you're obviously well into the, the car scene. Uh, what are your kind of impressions from what you've seen? Um, okay, so I mean, uh, simply is this is this is a modern take on the Defender platform, which is their kind of, it's like Land Rover's most rugged or agricultural sort of heritage vehicle. And and obviously the, the previous generation, which ended a couple years ago, um, you know, commonly just call the Defender or a D90 or D110. That's a wheelbase indication. But, it, you know, it's this very boxy, squared, military-esque. They're in James Bond movies. They're, I think they're in like an iconic style within the automotive world. And, and that body style, which, of course, came after yours, um, lasted for a really long time. And there were versions that were actually federated for North America. Those are t- commonly called NAS. They're very expensive. They could be eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000. You can find them on Bring a Trailer if you really want to track one down. Otherwise, you'll see a lot of people driving right-hand drive ones, which they imported. You can buy uh, you know, a TD5 D90 for ten dollars to $15,000 right? Right. And, and bring it over and then deal with all some of the headaches of trying to do drive-throughs and toll booths from a right-hand drive car, <laughs> all, all, all part of the fun. But I think, you know, when they removed this, Land Rover's really, um, you know, under under this connection with Jaguar and, and launching some very successful vehicles. They arguably make one of the best perceived uh, luxury SUVs in the world with the Range Rover. And then they recently redid, and, and on a brand new platform and everything, the Evoque, which has been a very popular vehicle for them. I'm not a huge fan of the Evoque. It looks kind of like a Barbie's yeah vehicle in any color i don't necessarily mean that it's feminine it looks kind of toy like mm-hmm. but they did kind of give it some of the look of the velar which i think works nicely and then with the defender they really tried to bring 
the original style into something that would pass modern day crash standards and right and and durability standards and things like that and it'll be interesting to see if they really make something that resonates with the sort of agricultural landed gentries of yeah of, of people who have really appreciated the original defender for its ruggedness and its uh, simplicity and yes certainly some lack of creature comforts but in trade a vehicle that just kind of always worked and could get itself out of a bog and could get you down to the store and get go to church on Sunday or whatever it is that you use your your more uh, pedestrian vehicles for. Uh, with this new one, we're looking at a starter of uh, about 50 grand, running a two-liter turbocharged inline four, about 300 horsepower, and then they're making a, a shorter version and a longer version like they have in the past. So there's a two-door Defender and a four-door. Um, I, I think aesthetically, I really like most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can get into some of the stuff I don't like. Um, but, you know, where, where do you land? I mean, you are a Land Rover fan, obviously. I think there's a charm inherent to a Series 2, Series 3 sort of existence that doesn't exist Yeah. with a modern vehicle. But where do you kind of sit sit with it? You know, I, I'm not such a, a purist that I'm going to hate on it initially just because it has, um, you know, uh, electronic control units throughout the vehicle or, uh, you know, the, the creature comforts you mentioned. You right. Know, uh, but... Uh, to me, it has lost a bit of the charm of the last one. I think it's such an extreme departure from the the previous Defender and obviously the, the series vehicles. But it's a really tough act to follow. And I think they kind of did the best they could looking at the market that they're trying to hit. Uh, you know, In reading a lot of the feedback online from a lot of people, including purists, you know, people are by and large impressed with what it can do. The capabilities, doubtless. I mean, this thing has... I think I read 900 millimeters of water weighting uh, capability. So we're talking what? That's almost a meter. Uh, you know, three over three feet of, uh, of water it can afford. Uh, you know, all the the traction control features. Um, I think it has dual drive for front and rear. Uh, all of this, you know, insane capability that that's been honed over you know years with Land Rover's experiences with the Range Rover and all these other vehicles. I guess. I would have really liked to see a, a much more stripped-down version uh, with some of those capabilities. And they do make one with coil springs, so you can opt for a version that doesn't have the air suspension, which a lot of people will like. But the days are over where if you get stuck in the bush uh, with you know something wrong with it, you can't just pull out a hammer and a and a screwdriver and fix it yourself. It, right. That's just not going to happen. And but I also think that. Those days were over for Land Rover for a while. You could do that with a Defender, but the people that were driving them that way were fewer and fewer. And I think Land Rover recognized the reality of that. The um, the argument that you know, if you're going to be stuck out in the bush and and you get a flooded ECU and all this electronics, uh, you're you're kind of dead in the water and you can't fix it. Okay, that's fine. But those people are in a in a, in a great minority. I think the the farmers that were buying Land Rovers back in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Mm-hmm moved to something like a Toyota Hilux or something like that. Yep. Probably back in the early nineties and yeah, or Defenders. like Subaru Foresters or, yeah. or, or like just yeah. something like some other kind of agricultural, but polished vehicle. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing to keep in mind is yes, I would agree that these modern vehicles on a whole aren't as fix them with a hammer as older stuff, but they're also much better made. Yeah. So this may not be the same sort of expedition vehicle as a previous D one ten. But it might drive over all the same stuff and just not break. Right. I mean, yeah. they're definitely capable of making a good vehicle. They're definitely capable of making a very tough vehicle. Yeah. Right. And I think that this vehicle will, for the most part, slide right into the hole left by the loss of the Defender. And the other thing is, they made a lot of the last one. You can still find them. Yeah. I would say I like the styling quite a bit, especially of the 110. Um, Cole, our, our coworker, Cole Pennington, has seen it at Goodwood, seen these in, in person. He said they're very big. Mm hmm. Um, so I thought kind of in the same sort of size and, and shoulder feel of like a Wrangler, but he said, no, it's a Wrangler plus plus, like it's, it's quite a bit bigger. Um, the thing that really irks me and, and apparently, and I would love to be wrong on this, apparently according to the website, it's not optional on the 110. It's, it's a standard item. So maybe it can be deleted at a dealer level, but they have this weird square of body colored panel. Yeah. 
in the rear window segment, which should be one long, clean line of window. Yeah. There's just a floating square of color. And and on the on the the larger version of the of the vehicle, it actually is in the door seam. Like it's I find it to be really upsetting visually. <laughs> yeah. I don't like it. For me, if it was the kind of thing where like I went to everything else was good, that mm-hmm. would be a deal breaker. Oh, I wouldn't sure. buy it because of that. Because even if you colored it black, so it kind of but if you're inside, there's just a wall where you might want to look out. Yeah, I wasn't clear. Is that translucent, opaque? Is it painted on? Is it's it, body uh, colored, and it seems to be... Huh. They call it a floating pillar. In, in the window. Yeah, yeah. But if there's a door line that goes through it, I don't know what it serves. I didn't do a, a ton of research. I didn't actually know we were necessarily going to chat about this yeah, on, on this yeah. episode, but... Uh, I really hope it's the kind of thing where after the first model year, they're like, oh, guys, come on, we just we, you can just not order it. Right. And it's fine. Right. You have a normal, but every single picture has this <laughs> panel yeah. in the glass. And it's like, it's not a different colored piece of glass. It's a panel inset in the glass that's body colored. So it's painted the same color as the body. Yeah. And otherwise, I think this is like a, a, a pretty good looking thing that has a lot of uh, a lot of Land Rover aesthetic attached mm-hmm. to it, but still some rugged elements. And you can see that the departure, uh, you know, and incline angles are really strong. The wheel, wheels are way out at the end of the vehicle. You get a spare wheel on the, on the rear gate. Uh, you know, uh, we can link to um, Henry Catchpool's little preview. Uh, oh, yeah. He saw two, the two static vehicles. So he does a walkthrough of the interior where you can have a, a center jump seat, which I love. I think yeah. the new interior looks awesome. Yeah. And it uses a, a bulkhead stress member as actual design element. These are things I adore. I think you see that defender element on the inside. Uh, it's a total holdover of the last one. Even mine that has that sort pocket. of, yeah. yeah, it's a big pocket in the front. It looks, yeah. It, and so that's actually like a piece of structure that yeah. they just left bare because it's cool. And, and right. it has this nice kind of center console that kind of reminds me of like older, um, discoveries that like wider center channel. Yeah. Um, obviously lots of tech. You can't make a vehicle like this without the big center screen. I've seen some of this tech in, at work in the new evoke and it's incredible. Like the, the stuff that we drove through, we did this like playground drive through tunnels and through pools and over these insane leaning elements in the, in the evoke at the original launches. So it wasn't even a, a, a road test drive. They were not road legal. Yeah. This was last November I went and drove the new Evoke. And it was just at like a spot in downtown London that was clearly like an old train yard. Huh. But they had built a pool so you could drive through oh, a bunch sure. of deep water. They'd built these crazy steep ramps and these leaning panels. And huh. there's a bunch of really good tech. And like, is that needed to go off-roading? I, I don't know. If you're an off-road professional, definitely not. If yeah. you're a guy who might occasionally take his fifty to $100,000 nice city SUV off-road, I, I might want something that keeps my wheels from rubbing up against a rock that I could have avoided. Yeah. I mean, or I, getting I, stuck in a field or something like that. To me, like, like I said earlier, I, mean, I would love to see them do a... $40,000 version with less None tech. of the cameras. The one that appeals to me, of course, is the one with the steel wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, they even demoed or, or showed at the at the Frankfurt Auto Show uh, the, what they're calling the commercial version. So it's the it's what they used to call the old hardtop. I mean, that's the one for me that the, you know, the, the, the absolute most stripped down version. And, and they, they do all these different packs with them. They have an explorer pack. They have an adventure pack. They have a country pack. They come with... All of these different features, roof racks, ladders, they kind exterior of boxes. Like the, the little bits kind of remind me of like Lego, but this is something yeah. that like the yeah. whole industry has learned because yeah. of Wranglers. Yeah. And uh, and I think you look at some of these, I mean, like I absolutely like the country pack quite a bit. I like the urban pack quite a bit because it's, it has the least kind of stuff tacked onto the vehicle. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like that adventure pack looks cool on the steelies with the yeah. with the the side packs on the rear window. And, yeah. Uh, I, the big rack and and they still have the I call them safari windows but there's another name for alpine them. Alpine, alpine windows, windows. there yeah. you go yeah yeah so they have the alpine windows in the roof I, I'm just happy to see that they're still making stuff like this yeah. it'll be interesting to see if it kind of evolves to offer you know your Rubicon version which maybe yeah. removes some tech but adds some off-roadiness some more or maybe just one that's like the new base like right you know, maybe yeah. they want something that slots in under an evoke and and, yeah. and and they offer something like that. And, and I, you know, I, I think it looks cool. It's I, the one I spec'd out that I was the most happy with because, again, this weird body panel in the rear windows was a, a 110 in all black. Mm. Looked pretty good because you could hide that panel oh, sure. a little bit because yeah. it looks like it's glass. It's not. Again, it isn't glass, but... Um, uh, yeah, I like it. I think I like the interior more than I like the exterior. I think the design is like really, it's close enough that they can tweak it over the model's generation mm-hmm. where I think in a couple of years they'll hit something really interesting. Yeah. Um, especially when, when you know, enough buyers have kind of like given them some feedback and 
not not feedback from like me i'm never going to buy one of these but feedback from actual buyers right who might want you know might have their land rover or range rover and they want this as their city car or their or or in their town car or something you know go yeah. go into the country and uh, I, I think it's a, I think it's a successful thing. I think it's a pretty good design. I think that body panel in the rear window sucks. <laughs> that's where I come to. That's kind of where I land on it. Like there's so much to like about it. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to drive it. I'll, I'll, I'll keep an open mind and, and mm-hmm. I think it's a great vehicle. I mean, it's going to drive you know, Bravo. I'm sure it's fantastic. Yeah. And I think they did a, as good a job with the design as you could possibly do updating such an icon. Except for the uh, side panel. Except, except for the side panel. Um, <laughs> I agree entirely. Like I, I'm, I'm being kind of a, a joking about the side panel. It bugs me. It would, it would, it would be a bit of a deal breaker for me. But I also, it might be the kind of thing you just like. I don't want that, and yeah. you don't put it on it when you yeah. order the car. Yeah, but it's I like. Drive I, I would take a. I would take a short wheelbase in. I think they call it Pangaea green with a white roof, steel wheels. So like know, the just, adventure. That's like yeah. That's yeah what I'm looking at here. It looks super rad. stripped down. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm not going to part ways with my my old uh, Series Three anytime soon. I, I'm partial to older vehicles, not simply out of the nostalgia or charm, but you know we have a 2004 Volvo as well. And what I like about it is the lack of tech. Mm-hmm. It has just the right level of tech. I think there was a point at which, without getting too deep into this, but there was a point at which cars got a little too tech heavy for my tastes. I still like, you know, actual hard buttons and dials for things like uh, temperature and you know defrost Absolutely. and seat controls and things like this. I don't want to have to be punching a touch screen and take my eyes off the road to find how to increase the temperature or something like that. And uh, so for that reason, you know, I'm still partial to slightly older vehicles. And, and as far as Land Rovers go, yeah, if I were to spend 50, 60 grand on one of these, once you spec it out for that, I'd probably opt for, you know, try to find an old one that someone has imported and maybe restored. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you are starting to push close to the price of the NAS ones, which hold their value the best. Offered in yellow with the you know the external rails on the, on oh, the body, yeah. which are kind of fun, and then it's it's left hand drive and it has a normal VIN number and it has you know right. all these sorts of things. So I, I think they're going to do really well with it. You can pretty much guarantee based on how just ridiculously capable all of the other Land Rover products are off road mm-hmm. and how comfy they are on road that it will drive really well, kind of no matter where you go. Yeah. Um, and I think it looks pretty cool. So I, I think they like mostly nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we can leave it at that. I, I, I just uh, you know thanks everybody for you know sending me the direct messages on the day that it was launched, mm-hmm. and, and we just wanted to cover it briefly here while it's uh, still fresh in our minds here. So yeah, and I, I was in uh, Vancouver for a little while, and all I drove while I was literally all I drove while I was there was supercars. So oh yeah, I can't really weigh in on on anything similar. But I had uh, I had a McLaren 720s Spider for a, a photo shoot. And then I very briefly, like for a day, I borrowed the new Huracan Evo, which is the Performante engined base evo or not base evo it's just like a all-wheel drive rear steer the new interior the new infotainment system um i mean it's just that car is just uh, it's a party yeah uh basically it's it's loud and it's kind of raucous and it's (laughs) razor sharp and and i mean we've i've talked about uh the performante in the past so i would say most of that carries over you're buying that car for the engine it's this high revving 5.2 liter v10 it sounds like you're an f1 car in the 80s it's amazing and I know I, I spoke at, at length about the uh, how unbelievably good the 720S is, whether it be the Spider or the Coupe. So we don't have to go any deeper into that. But uh, I, I would love a chance to drive uh, something that we would describe as being more agricultural than a, a current <laughs> modern supercar. Um, but I'll, I'll be in a, a Westphalia uh, next oh, yeah, week. So right. that should be fun. I've never driven one. It's kind of a bit of a long trip. So I think that should be pretty cool. And uh, I'll have more details on that kind of on the other side of it when I ha- actually have something to speak about. But uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a, a high-low phase between... A, a, That'll be suitably uh, agricultural. Yeah, I think so. I think we would be, we'll be struggling to maintain a lot of highway speeds in that. Yeah. So um, yeah, you feel like it may, may be worth jumping right into our main topic? Yeah, let's do it. So you know, this is something you and I have talked about for, boy, years. I mean, we're always going back and forth about exercise. You know, you running, training for mountain climbs, mm-hmm. et cetera. And I just thought it'd be a good one to kind of bring up for, for this episode because, you know, a lot of people have the same struggles and ambitions that, that we do. And Yeah, and, and I so, get a fair amount of messages asking like, what's your where routine? do I start with running? Yeah. How much is too much running? How much is too little? Because I'll put up like a picture of a garment or a picture of my feet running or something. And like, everybody has it. You have to find your own routine, obviously. Right. Um, so what's like a... a where did you kind of start? Where did you find like some exercise you actually like doing where it didn't feel like a chore 
but yeah. rather like the part that kind of saved a bad day. So uh, the brief history of, of me and exercise goes back to high school days when I was more of a team sport guy. I played football and basketball in high school. And looking back, it was probably not the best fit for me. But uh, regardless, you know, after after high school, I really got heavy into individual sports. And the first thing that I kind of got into was running. I was really into it, really heavy duty uh, training for marathons and, and, you know, did five and 10 K, you know, runs every weekend when I could, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. And I, a, I'm, you know, I'm a big guy. I don't really have the body type for uh, running. It's uh, pretty pounding on, on the physique and whatever. And I, I ended up dropping a ton of weight, probably an unhealthy amount. You know, I weigh about 230 now. And I think back then I was weighing in the 160s maybe. Okay. So, yeah. Probably not terribly healthy at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I guess if I look at, you know, from then till the present, I go in these cycles of almost getting obsessive about types of exercise. For sure. And then getting to the point where I burn out on them. So, if, you know, for a while it was running. And then probably starting in the mid-90s, I really got into uh, cycling and, you know, road bikes. I uh, was doing mountain bike races and I was racing on the, on the velodrome track up in Minneapolis, uh, bike racing you know, riding daily, long rides on the weekends, et cetera. Again, you know, burned out on it. Um, you know, then I got into swimming. I've always done cross-country skiing. So I really like endurance sports, but I think, you know, the lessons I've learned have been to find a balance. And I think I'm kind of at a good point now where I can find that. And a lot of it is seasonal-based or activity-based. Uh, if I'm training for something specific, like, you know, climbing Mount Rainier a few years ago, it involves... Uh, you know, heavy amount of, of carrying a pack and running and hiking just a lot. Uh, when I did the Alcatraz swim, I was uh, open water swimming on the lake, you know, several nights a week and doing some pool swimming. Um, but I've just kind of found now that, that the right balance for me is, you know, if the weather suits it, take the kayaks to the lake, do some paddling one day, uh, you know, go biking with my wife uh, the next night, um, maybe do some hiking on the weekend and that sort of thing. And I think that just works for me. You know, I'm, I'm, getting to the age where, you know, fitness is something I, I can't just start, take for granted. And, yeah. um, and so, uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, just been really, uh, sort of more mindful about where I expend my energy and also what I'm eating and drinking and that sort of stuff. So, okay. Before we get too much further into the main topic, it's time for a brief chat about this episode's sponsor, Braymont Watches. Yeah, and Braymont is returning to support a second episode of the Grey NATO, and we're really thrilled about that. And, um, as part of this uh, the second sponsored episode, they've got quite the um, limited edition um, for us to talk about today. As some of you might know, Bremont has a history of doing annual limited edition watches. Uh, these are very small run timepieces that they make that uh, often incorporate uh, pieces of historical aircraft. Um, in one case, they did uh, the Codebreaker, which was a well-known one from their history for that, that used wood from the floor of one of the buildings at Bletchley Park, which was the code-breaking facility during World War II. They've done the 1918, which was one that commemorated the 100th anniversary of the RAF. They've, they've just done some really neat stuff in the past, and, and this one really is no exception. And yes, so this new edition is called the H4 Hercules Limited Edition. It uh, comes in three different versions, but uh, that all of them carry a little bit of the H-4 Hercules, which for those of you who know your aviation history was also called the Spruce Goose and was famously flown by Howard Hughes in 1947, a very famous plane, um, uh, one that was you know widely considered essentially a national treasure. And w- within that, uh, Bremont's been able to source uh, a little tiny bit of wood from the plane that they've used to adorn the rotors of these uh, these watches, and there's going to be 300 in stainless steel, 75 in rose gold, and 75 in platinum. So from what we've seen, which for Jason and I is just images, the watch looks incredible. It's one of the few of Bremont's LEs that isn't a chronograph, so this is actually a GMT expression of the same Le Jupere movement they used in the Wright Flyer, which was, of course, also connected to a famous plane in American aviation history, world aviation history, really, the Wright Flyer. And uh, and, and with this model, so they still, they're using the BWC-02, but it has, a, like I said, a GMT function. It's still a 43 millimeter case, and you get a date at six o'clock. And each of the three versions kind of have their own dial treatment. They really carry on what we saw with the Codebreaker and the Supersonic last year, which is a, a little bit more of an elegant 
really beautifully designed. It still has that sort of rugged charm of, of a Bremont, but it is, you can very quickly tell that it's something special. Just looking at the photos here, they've, they've got a steel version, a rose gold version, and then they're actually doing a platinum version. It, it's similar in kind of dial layout to the right flyer, with the exception of the, the GMT ring around the outside, you know, in that it has a, a small seconds uh, register on the left side of the dial. But you're right, it has a it has a very dressy look, not quite as dressy as the right flyer, which had sort of an oversized onion crown and, and looked uh, definitely sort of very 1930s or 40s. This is um, a, a bit more broad-shouldered, like a Bremont sports watch, but I think that kind of open dial with the, the beautiful Arabic numerals and then that small seconds kind of has a bit of a throwback to, to more of a mid-century dress watch. And it's definitely has some Bremont DNA to it, but it's it's very... Uh, different from kind of what you'd expect from a typical Bremont sports watch. Yeah, I agree. And at 43 millimeters and using one of these movements, this is a watch you could definitely wear every day. It would be something obviously very special to wear, but, you know, gorgeous and really cool. And certainly if you're a fan, not only of Howard Hughes, but of early aviation, mid-century aviation. Yeah, I agree. You know, Bremont has established this well-known history of of these limited editions. And there's quite a collector community around these in the past. And I think what separates them is the incorporation of these historic bits into the watches. I mean, you know, when you think about something from, you know, the, the arguably the first plane to fly, the Wright Flyer, um, the Codebreaker with its history in World War II, um, they've done, uh, you know, uh, uh, P-51 Mustangs and, and Spitfires and, and all of these historic planes. And, you know, this just continues that. And I, when I first heard about this, I, you know, Googled Howard Hughes and, and the H-4 Hercules and you know, you can really go down a rabbit hole and I encourage anybody who's who's interested in learning more about this plane to do that because, you know, Howard Hughes, if you're not familiar with his aviation history, was a remarkable man. And this plane in particular is is incredibly historic, which is where Bremont sourced the, the wood for the for the watch. And yet again, Bremont's able to capture just a little slice of a really special plane, quite literally, and put it in one of these watches. And it's something that while they've done it so many times, they always manage to find just the right plane or just the right touchstone from either aviation history or British history or, or, or something like that. And this is one we really can't wait to see in person. And until then, just a huge thank you to Bremont for supporting the show. Stay tuned for more news about the H4 Hercules LE, and be sure to visit Bremont.com or hit the show notes for all the details. Back to the show. I know you... Obviously, had a big year training for Baker a few years ago, and that involves you were living in Vancouver, so you had the mountains in your backyard. And then more recently, you've been kind of really into running. Yeah, so it's funny because I, I didn't, uh, I hated sports, like definitely team sports, not interested, never considered myself an athlete or even the type of person who could enjoy athletic experiences. Yeah. Um, and then when I moved to uh, Vancouver, I'd, I had had uh, some time previously, I lived in a town called Hamilton in Ontario. And I'd had some friends that would go to the gym frequently. So I'd go to the gym with them, but it, aimlessly. Yeah. Probably if I had had any more focus during that time, it would have hurt myself. It was just like, you're there just throwing weights around. Yeah. And like, it felt good and it's exercise. And I was in my very early 20s. So I was loosely indestructible. Yeah. And your body responds to exercise really well. So you think like, oh, I'm so fit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got to Vancouver and suddenly I was in a place that didn't really have winter. So like you really only had, if you wanted to run, you only really had to stop for like a little bit in January where it was icy. Yeah. Otherwise I could run almost in a t-shirt year round. Wow. Um, so as I would do, I'm an obsessive. I got really deep into running and I got to the point where like, um, my feet started to complain at about 80 to 90 kilometers a week, Mm -hmm. which is a a decent distance. Um, I really loved it. You know, I would run an hour a day. Um, I had, um, a, a very close family member is, uh, is a sports physiotherapist. And he had always said, you know, the, all the injuries in running happen at people who run once a week and people who run seven times a week. Sure. So I used to take Sundays off. I thought that was smart. <laughs> um, eventually I got to the point where I just felt like I wasn't getting any better at running. Yeah. Um, it just, uh, it, it, it was, it was more something I was doing like to think and to have a break from everything else. And your phone doesn't really work that well. Like you can't take a phone call while you're running or you shouldn't. Yeah. yeah. So I would just run uh, to have a break from everything else, which is great. Um, and, but uh, you know, I had lost a lot of weight and you're kind of like, ah, maybe I should put on some muscle. And so I slowly got into working out, but I don't like gyms. Mm. I'm going to have to change that tune for Toronto, hmm. but in Vancouver, I really didn't like the idea of a gym. So I would work out at home. Yeah. And that started like, I, I, I'm i a big fan that I think like you can't really think of exercise or diet in terms of success very differently. Everything is about adherence. 
It's mm-hmm. a lot less important how you exercise than the fact that you do it a lot. Right. Or a long, an, an amount that's enough. Yeah. And it's a lot less important um, what the diet is versus uh, than it is to adhere to it. So if you want to pick the hardest diet in the world, you want to go from having a terrible diet to being keto. Yeah. I would say good luck. Your adherence rate's probably like 5%. Yeah. Will stick with it long enough to even lose their weight. And then there's like, just you need to find something that's less of a diet or a, a workout regime and more of just something that fits your general movement yeah. of lifestyle. Yeah. And my problem is moving from Vancouver to Toronto. I'm now dealing with a place that has four full seasons, including a winter, and I travel all the time. Yeah. So the travel used to be a lot of travel, but I worked out so much it didn't make any difference. Mm-hmm. I could take two days off when I was going to drive a car in Austria or something. Now I travel like more than 50% of the month. Yeah, that's And tough. I just don't like working out in hotel rooms. Yeah. And I'm not carrying, I don't want to carry running shoes everywhere I go. Yep. So I'm, I'm currently working on yeah. fixing that. What I've done is I just dial back how much I eat. Yeah. Uh, so that I'm not just consuming 3,000 calories a day and, and not needing anywhere near that much. Especially the, the other thing that I think people don't consider is as you get older, you require fewer calories. Right. Right. Which is something to consider. I'm, I'm in my early 30s, but I still think it's worth being mindful of these things. Yeah. Um, and I try and eat things that make me feel better throughout the day or I try to not eat at all. Yeah. Like, uh, especially if I have a really busy work day, I prefer to like just stick with coffee and water. And then when the work day is mostly done, then I'll find a meal. Yeah. And I don't have to be too concerned about what it is. Um, you know, I, I, I would say that I, I got to a point with what I really loved and what I would go back to immediately if I was home more often and in a place like Vancouver is I was running every other day. Mm-hmm. An hour, I'd go 30 minutes in one direction on a $15 Casio and go, oh, 30 minutes, turn around and run back. Yeah. It was easy. Uh, you run along the ocean. It's gorgeous. If it's raining, it's still pretty. And it felt great. And then on all the days where I wouldn't run, the other other days, I would simply do um, a workout with them. Um, you can buy these Bowflex. This is, I promise, not an ad. I have no interest in getting money from Bowflex, or whatever, but I used their product for several years. Hmm. It's these two Bowflex weights that have dials on the side and Mm -hmm. you can go from like five pounds to like 55 pounds. Yeah. And then it has a whole app that goes with it. So you design the workout you want. So I would have like an arm day, a leg day, a back day, a core day, and then it would repeat. So over the course of two weeks, I would finish seven runs and seven workouts and do almost a full cycle of Hmm. of fitness. And I loved this. Hmm. It was Hmm. 40 minutes. I could listen to a podcast while I did it. The app, as long as you didn't leave the app, the app timed everything. So Hmm. there's no like getting a text message and spending 10 minutes between a set when it should have been a minute. You just, it would go bong, 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 and then you were starting. Yeah. And you did a certain number of reps at a certain weight and it recorded everything so that you could increase as you went. Sure. Really helpful if you, but that was kind of like a later phase for me. I think if you want to start working out at home, Make it real easy. Do 100 mm-hmm. push-ups, like 5 by 20, or do 50 push-ups or 20. Like, just break it into chunks. Yeah. And do the same thing for air squats and do the same thing for, like, sit-ups. Yeah. It's going to take yeah. you 25 minutes. You'll feel a lot better. And then eventually you'll get to the point where that's boring yeah. or it doesn't feel like a workout, and your body will crave that, like, workout mm-hmm. thing, the um, endorphins or, or whatever it is, yeah. um, and, and you'll up the ante. And eventually you'll get to weights or you'll go to the gym and get a trainer or, or whatever it is. I think people go too hard too fast when they flip the switch January 1st and they're like, I have to work out. Right. They go to the gym a few times. They feel terrible because it's really hard. Everything at the gym is heavy. Everybody around the gym looks like they know what they're doing, which is demoralizing <laughs> if you don't. And it's really easy to just like go on YouTube and find a yoga video mm-hmm. that's like 20 minutes and see if you like it. And if you don't, move on. Buy yeah. one kettlebell. You can do like mm-hmm. 50 exercises at home and just follow along on a free YouTube video. And you will get stronger and, yeah. and, and try and focus on Andrew, on like these sorts of things that aren't going to hurt you in the long run, whether it's running too much or running. In my case, I ran and then did Baker on a terrible pair of shoes and yeah. I'm still injured from it. Yeah. yeah. If I run enough, if I start to hit 60, 70 K in a week, my right foot starts to fall apart. I, I think, you know, our you know, TGN for as long as we've had it uh, has been really largely focused on accessible adventures, the gear you can use with it. And I think we've never really talked about Training. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we we won't do that this time. I think if if we have a specific activity that we want to talk about, like maybe one time we'll talk about how we trained for our mountain climbs. But but I think for me, I, I'm not a gym guy. I can't stand gyms. I don't like anything that smacks of of a workout routine. Um, I love. Of, and that's funny because I adored the routine. And I, I miss it so stand, much. I can't stand routine. And and for me, as long as I feel like I'm doing something, going from point A to point B, or doing a loop on a bike, or skiing around a, a 
you know, groomed uh, ski course in the wintertime. It doesn't feel like exercise to me, even though, you know, I might look at the Garmin and check, you know, download my heart rate afterwards right. and, and kind of get some satisfaction from that. As long as I'm doing something that feels like an activity, that, that's why I love hiking in the mountains. Uh, hiking is the finest exercise in the world. Or Yeah, for it sure. really is. I mean, just, just covering ground on foot is such a, a sublime It doesn't pleasure. have to be mountains either. Like, yeah. like hills are lovely. Yeah. Fields are lovely. Find a path yeah. and just walk. Yeah, and, and the only sort of routine that I sometimes do and I kind of go in spurts uh, are push-ups. Yeah. Uh, I love doing push-ups. It's such a, it's the perfect exercise. It works out so much of your body and it's the kind of thing that I'll do, you know, it's very portable. Obviously you can do it uh, in a hotel room. Um, yeah. The you know, push-ups, the air squats and the sit-ups or, or if you're, yeah. if sit-ups, if you're, I'm of the camp where I don't think sit-ups are all that valuable, but it's a nice place to start. If you're starting a workout, do V-ups where your leg comes up yeah. So your knees come into your face. Sure. And if you break that into three things and eventually you're yep. doing a hundred of each, it's yeah. not a bad work. No, and it takes, it takes like 15 minutes to do yeah. these things. And I would always do it. Uh, my excuse would be I'd do it before I'd get in the shower. So anytime I'm going to take a shower, whether yep. it's after one workout or after, you know, just at the end of the day, beginning of the day, it's like it, even just the push-ups will take, you know, less than 10 minutes sometimes to just hammer out three or four sets and then jump in the shower. It, it's, it's just kind of the perfect perfect opportunity to do that um but you know other than that it's got to be activity based for me it has to be um doing something and especially if i'm training for something which i'm finding that i'm lacking a little bit right now i, f- I need to find my next goal my i've next been feeling goal. the same thing i need another mountain to climb i need another you know lake or distance to swim or something and i you know i've got some ideas i'll chat with you about later um for next summer that might be something maybe we we talk about and, and sure. do together or something but uh that's always kind of been the way I've I've enjoyed it. I've been thinking I may just like sign myself up for a marathon, like a full, and just like make the mistake of putting that pressure on myself. Yeah, like one of the ones you're allowed to just walk into. Yeah, um, because I know that I know that I could probably not run a marathon right now, even if we're talking like six hours. Like I just don't think I would finish. Yeah, my foot's gonna give up, or I'm gonna hit a wall, or I'm gonna hate it. Right. Um, but I remember I remember how much I used to like, and this was like six months ago how much I flat out loved being at like 20 to 25 K laughing Stanley park in Vancouver. And just like, I think that would be it. The other thing I might be a crazy, you know, yuppie for even saying this, but I've been eyeballing Pelotons. Oh yeah. Cause I'm stuck. I'm going to be stuck inside for part of the year. Um, I've never been a cyclist. Like I've never gotten in. I might, my dad recently gave me a bike and I, I, it's literally sitting in my living room. I think it looks great. I have not taken it out. Yeah. When I'm home, I'm home for like a weekend. It's with my family. I don't really take any time. I might get out for a half hour run Yeah. or when they go to bed, I'll do one of these quick cycle workouts, something like that. But, but for the most part, you know, on a bike, I, the other thing, and I've said this on the show before is like, if it's if it's ten units of swimming, then it's twenty units of running, then it's forty units of biking. So mm-hmm. there's the efficiency of a cycle yeah. means that I have to really enjoy being on it. Right. right. Otherwise, I should have just been running because yeah. I, I get more. Oh, I get sure. more for my minutes. Yeah. yeah. And I should probably just find a pool and learn to swim. Maybe that would be my fastest workout. Yeah. The other one I would love to do is uh, is to learn to box. Oh yeah, that's um, oh, that's inc- which I think would be like an incredible mixed. I did level a couple of workout. those classes, and man, that's tough. Yeah, that is yeah really yeah, yeah. tough. Yeah. So if there's a gym around the corner from me, again, I I've never really fathomed it. I've never enjoyed a minute that I spent in a gym. Yeah. Um, but there's a gym around the corner for me that does a, a weekly boxing class, but I don't know if it's a bag or if it's just air box. I have no idea. Mm, yeah. So may, maybe that's what I ought to do. I, I'm not home enough to hold these type of schedules. Yeah. I should really find yeah, something that like travel. Um, travel's really tough. It's just one. destroying it. It's I know t- running is portable and I know, you know, Russell and you who works here. You have to carry shoes and they, yeah. your bag smells and Everything gets how many, how many t-shirts can I really exactly. afford? Yeah. Like I, I, I can do two weeks out of my right. small away. I'm going to just have to start checking stuff if we're talking like t-shirts and spare shorts and right. then it's winter in New York. I'm also yeah. not running outside here. Like, you know, funny you should mention the Peloton that that's been an attractive prospect. Right. Again, for someone who doesn't care for routines or, or gyms, the Peloton is attractive, but also I'm a, I'm a big fan of rowing. I really mm, like rowing. I don't have the room for a rowing machine. Rowing, I, I agree though. Rowing that's a whole machines body. take up a lot of room. Um, but we do have a reasonably sized finished basement that, doesn't get a lot of use and, and these concept two rowing machines are you know rock solid um it's the kind of thing i think i could you know get down for for half an hour and kind of hammer uh and get a decent yeah i'm gonna um, i'll make uh now that I'm, I, I'm i'm committing it to air yeah it's now mid-september yeah i'm gonna try and figure out something that i think i could all share 
at some level, whether on Instagram or something, if anybody else is interested and maybe yeah. we'll start logging it with the Garmin and, and we'll make yeah. a thing out of it. Yeah. Um, but I do encourage anyone like I, I still I will always remember the first day I decided I wanted to run. Mm -hmm. I went uh, I ran for four minutes. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I literally made it like two blocks in Vancouver and was like, my 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 lungs are on fire. I did not realize how like problematically unfit I was. And then I walked the rest of the route that I had established. Yeah. And then over time, I realized I was walking less and less. And then I completed the route and then you would do the whole route again. Yeah. And it's great because you don't have to be able to run that far to say you went for a run. You went out. Mm -hmm. the, the goal isn't the run. The goal isn't doing 5K in 20 minutes. The goal isn't doing 10K in 40 minutes. It's to leave your house mm -hmm. or to get off the couch mm -hmm. or to go to the grocery store instead of going to McDonald's or Postmates or whatever. Like it's just making the initial step. Yeah. And then it eventually becomes a habit and your body wants that instead of staying on the couch. Like I get so restless now, yeah, which yeah. is why the travel's problematic because it fills my restlessness. It, it quells that, but it's not actually good. It's yeah. not exercise. Right. I carry bags around. Right. right. Like, right. Yeah. Um, so whenever I'm, whenever I have a weekend, I try and get out hiking or into the park and move around. And, uh, and then other than that, you know, I, I still am, uh, uh, I'm less of a believer in the need to be counting your steps, mm -hmm. but get for a walk, go for a walk, use the stairs, uh, your phone, my phone tells me when I hit 12 or 13,000 steps, which really isn't that hard to do because I love walking. Mm -hmm. I love taking a camera out and going for a walk. And I think that's where like if I if I if you if you're really at the at the one end of this where you're like, I don't do any exercise and I'm not interested. Find a hobby that requires you to walk around, yeah. whether that's photography or uh, listening to podcasts or something. But know that like I have an hour podcast. That I'm, that's what I'm going to I'm going to finish my dinner. and I'm going to go for a walk. Yeah. And then eventually I think you'll, you'll talk yourself into like, I'm bored of the walk. I right. think I'll run or yeah. I'm going to get a bike. I'll yeah. go for a bike. I can still listen to my podcast. Yeah. Lower volume, please. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Cars are, cars hurt. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I definitely don't want to sound preachy because this is something that I've totally lost touch with since yeah. I left Vancouver and started working a lot, like just busy, crazy, busy weeks. When I'm home, I snap right back into it. I go for a run every day. I love it. Um, but it's something that like I, I lost, you know, what was essentially like five or six years of working out every day. I was, I, I listened to, or, or maybe read an interview with, uh, one of our heroes, Jimmy Chin, oh, yeah. a great mountaineer photographer, free solo, uh, director. Um, yeah, very fit guy. And uh, the interviewer was asking, you know, what is a busy guy you are. He travels a lot et cetera, et cetera. And getting older as well. And, and somebody said, you know, how do you, uh, what was it like? What's your workout routine or how do you get fit or something? And I think he, shape, said, yeah. he said, he said, I, I get in fit by doing the stuff that I do. And he doesn't have time to have a dedicated workout. He just is out there doing stuff. Not all of us are lucky enough to do that. However, um, my, you know, slight tweak on that is, uh, you know, you and I have jobs that often take us to interesting corners of the world, doing interesting things. These opportunities come up where, uh, you know, hey, we've got a new watch, you know, you want to go take it diving or, you know, we've got an interesting opportunity to go uh, diving or, or, you know, last winter it was this uh, Richard meal that, that we took up yeah, uh, to a hot uh, 10,000 feet yeah. in, the, in the Rockies. You know, these things come up on fairly short notice and if you're not fit, you, you simply can't do it or it'll mm -hmm. be absolute misery to do it. And so my philosophy or my mentality is I don't need to be super fit and even if I'm not training for a mountain climb, I want to be fit enough that at a moment's notice I can kind of do almost anything I'm asked or I don't have to pass up opportunities because I'm limited by my, uh, my own fitness or my abilities. And so I think having a well-rounded group of activities that you can do, whether that's, uh, you know, I like to do kayaking in the summer, um, you know, paddling works the upper body. It keeps the skills sharp about, you know, just being in a boat. Balance. Biking is good for balance. You know, biking is makes your legs and back strong. Um, hiking, you know, does X, Y, and Z. So, you know, all of these things, this, this sort of well-rounded overall fitness really contributes to just an overall lifestyle and the ability to kind of do things and try new things. I know um, that the, the other one that I've heard or that uh, friends have recommended, uh, not d directly to me, but in these sorts of conversations you have about, oh, what's your, what do you like, I, you know, what, what's your mental position on diet and exercise? Yeah. Or the consideration of diet and exercise. And and there's like, is it the New York Times or New York Mag has like a seven minute workout? Mm -hmm. And I think it's now on an app. And the idea, the, the other one that actually went through my entire friend group way back in the day was an app. I'll find it. I'm sure it still exists. It's called 100 Push-Ups. Oh. And the idea is it's an app that phase trains you to get to 100 push-ups in one set. 
Oh, wow. Which is intense. Yeah, it is. Um, I think at my best, I might have cracked 55. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is elbows in. Oh, sure. Proper. Like yeah. a, a military style push up. Yeah. Um, maybe 55. And it was, there was not going to be another set of 55 for two or three days. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the way it does it is you, you kind of, you turn the app on and, and you do as many as you can in one setting. And then it puts you on a schedule. Oh, okay. And so every day you do you do these three phases or these five phases where it kind of says like let's say you did twenty two, yeah. Then it has you do seventeen and then twenty two and then sixteen and then twenty one and then the next day you're up. It, it edges you up, and the idea is if you stick with it, you do a hundred. And there's a chin up one. Um, you know, chin ups and pull ups. It's it's really hard to recommend yeah. because as as easy as it is to buy one of those thirty dollar chin up bars, which I have, mm-hmm. you can really like improper form not yeah. only robs you of any of the benefits um you can hurt yourself yeah it's hard to hurt yourself with a push-up or a sit-up yeah or an air squat yeah i think like air squats are really really strong especially in the it's too little just buy yourself a cheap kettlebell and hold it sure and add a little bit of resistance but i, th- yeah. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of options especially for people who who have 15 to 45 minutes at home and i would include the shower time in that like you can find a pretty solid workout for 10 minutes yeah and you can find a really good one for say 35 to 40 yeah and be back with your family back at work. Like you can do this over your lunch break. I had lots of friends who used to work, you know, they'd go to work, they had a normal day job. They'd go to work and at lunch they would go to the gym. Yeah. And the the uh, one thing that I I struggle with, and I've talked to you about this before is, you know, there's all endurance and strength training, um, which is all well and good, but I'm terrible with flexibility. mm. I'm very inflexible. And I think a lot of it is because, you know, most of us, let's face it, are sitting at a desk. And yep. sitting is about, I wouldn't say it's the worst thing you can do, but it's tough. As far as for flexibility, it just, it sort of just cramps up or, or kind of distorts your, your hip flexors, your mm-hmm. back, um, your legs. And, and I just don't do much about it. I never have, and it's a real goal of mine to, I'm not a big fan of yoga, right. um, but I would like to find some sort of a, a good, simple, again, 10 minutes for push ups before the shower. Add on another five minutes for some stretching. I really like, there's a guy on YouTube, and I bet you I did this for well over a year. His name was Sean Vig. Oh, yes, you've Sean recommended Vig. that. And he I, I think was good. Yep. His was fine. It's super yeah. practical. Yep. He's friendly. Uh, he's not using terms that are like really problematic or difficult for someone to understand. Like yeah. he'll say some of the original terms of the poses, but it's mostly just do what he's doing. Yeah. And if you fall over, that's okay. You'll get stronger. Yeah. Um, I, I really like his stuff. And, and he had classes that would be like, Seven minute wake up yoga, twenty minute mm. yoga for fl- hip flexibility, thirty minute power yoga, body shredder, you'll die sort yeah. of thing. And like I, I'm not doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. But just like your normal, um, the flow that's like downward dog, and then the the one where you like scoop forward, mm-hmm. and like you just I feel like I'm taller, a little bit taller, a little bit, and like I have kind of tight shoulders, and uh, I'm also not very flexible. It was something that I attempted to work on more when I used to m- throw some weights around because you can hurt yourself if you don't have some. Yeah. Rate. I would say that I, I think largely what Jason and I are saying here, and we can get into the food thing if we want. I, I think mostly the food thing is like you need to understand why diets fail. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about adherence rate. It's about not making it too hard for yourself. Um, and maybe even not considering it a diet, but just how you, you eat. Know, just just how you eat yeah. regularly. Just make it regular. You know, rather and than- when I'm in a scenario that I can't control, like today with our lunch, I yeah. just won't eat. Yeah, I'm happier. I'm happier being hungry many times. I hate that feeling. Uh, right around now, you know, it's two fifteen when we're recording this. I hate that sluggishness. I would rather be sharper now and then just be hu- really hungry at four or five when dinner comes along at six or seven. Yeah. And when I'm at home, I, I actually just eat like the most ridiculously simple stuff. I like arugula in a bowl in a bowl with olive oil and lemon pepper on it, and I'll yeah. eat that for two meals, usually with a couple like um, cured pepperoni sticks. Mm. And avocados, um, if I'm if I'm feeling fancy, I'll make myself scrambled eggs. Like, I don't like going to the grocery store and thinking about the 10 things that have to go into one meal. I don't cook. I don't bake. <laughs> um, left to my own devices, I would eat bread and cheese forever. I just, like, I like cheese a lot. I'll, every, everybody likes bread. Yeah. Um, and the big thing for me is just trying to consider, like, if I if I really want this hamburger, how am I going to feel afterwards? Sure. And I'll, I'll eat a hamburger. I, I, my joke is I, every time I see an internet, I do a gentleman's triple, which is... <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, three double double animal oh styles, you know. But yeah. I only see in and out two or three times a year, so yeah, it's not right, going to kill right. me. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's 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 really how you how you approach the day to day, and I don't think calorie counting has proven to be that effective. Um, I think understanding when you should be eating and how and how much, and understanding that like as you get older, 
that, you know, when I was 20, maybe I did need 3000 or 3,500 calories a day. I don't, now. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I can function just fine on way less than that. Um, if you're comfortable not eating that much, read into intermittent fasting. Some people like it. Some people hate it. I like skipping meals because it means I didn't have to shop for that meal. It means <laughs> I don't have to think about that meal. I don't have to consider. I don't have to do the, uh, the I'm in the Hodinkee office and everybody's asking what's for lunch. I can just say I'm not, I'm not going to eat. I'm yeah. good. I'll yeah. go out for a walk. Like we, we went for a walk today in the sun, which is nice. And yeah. I'll often have like a, another coffee or a tea or a Diet Coke for lunch and just move on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I'm kind of... I, I think I'm a little, I'm quite different in that respect. I I tend to front load my days eating, so I like breakfast a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I like a yeah, decent sized breakfast. I like morning. a decent sized lunch. Um, I typically eat a, a much smaller dinner. Oh, I okay. Think I like to maybe that's smart. Maybe going to bed with a full stomach. I should yeah, I should phase I, I, out of at you know, thirty. Um, and also, I think you know my wife and I, you know, Gashani, we're, we're I wouldn't say foodies, but you know, we we enjoy cooking and mm-hmm. shopping and going to farmers markets and things like that. So. But I, I think we are both kind of of similar mind that we seek out uh, quote unquote whole foods, mm-hmm. not 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 necessarily the store, but yeah. um, you know foods that are have you know not processed and and uh, fresh and, and locally grown, organic, etc. Um, and then lately, uh, the thing I've been doing is uh, for about the past uh, six to seven weeks, I've I've just skipped alcohol, and yeah. I do that from time to time. Yeah, you like to phase in and out of it. Yeah, and this time was sort of the result. I, I went for a physical, and the blood test showed that my liver enzymes were a little bit high, which the doctor said is typically the result of uh, alcohol. And mm. you know, I'm not someone who you know, you know me. I don't drink a ton in the winter. Maybe there's a few, a couple of whiskeys a week, but um, it could just be the way my body processes it or whatever. So he said, you know, take a couple months off and come back yeah. for a retest. So I'm kind of in the middle of that, and. I remember I did this uh, a few years ago. I think I stopped drinking any alcohol for six months, and I lost fifteen pounds. I felt better. I feel great. I'm, yeah, I'm sleeping better. Yeah, you look great. Um, you know, skin seems to look better. You just uh, have more energy. Um, so you know, I'm not saying that's for everybody. Uh, I'm not going to comment on anyone's alcohol use because I'm, Lord knows, I, I enjoy my uh, my scotch. But so yeah, I mean, and that, that's something that I think everybody has to find their own comfort zone for. And, uh, I would say that if you can, if you can lead uh, a life where you don't miss it, mm-hmm. don't drink. Yeah. I would miss it. Yeah. Um, I don't have that many vices. It used to be a lot more exercise. Yeah. Um, but I, I would miss it. Like I miss, uh, occasionally watching some dumb cartoons, like, a, like a, <laughs> I would miss it the same way I miss like a Rick and Morty. Yeah. Uh, it's not needed. If I didn't see another episode of Rick and Morty again, I would be okay, but I, I would miss it. Part of me would miss it. And I, I think it's, you know, it, it's kind of realizing that everybody's going to have their kind of own own phase when it comes to that kind of stuff and just figure out the one that works for you and I, I, yeah not don't think about it as a diet as something where like i'm on a diet now i won't be at some point yeah just the, i'm on a methodology of eating that isn't going to kill me faster right would be you know enjoy some things have cake on your birthday obviously i love pizza i'm not going to throw pizza away yeah but maybe less yeah <laughs> especially as you get older yeah so that's probably a good place to leave it yeah, I mean, I, I I would hate to think that people thought that we're, we sound preachy because my diet's a mess when I travel. I do my best and, and the workout yeah. thing's even worse. But I know I will get back to workout because I love it so much. And and we're certainly not... So we're on your side. We're certainly not offering this episode as um, any sort of an advice uh, no, program. it's just it's, a topic that comes up a lot for us. It's what we do and I think a lot of people ask about these things and I would love to hear other people's uh, feedback on... Please, yeah. And and if you if you feel you have broken the hotel workout the remote workout scenario, please tell me what yeah. you figured out because I will give it a try. I will give it two months, uh, and and see if it's something that makes me happier. That the stuff I do now is simple and it's fine and and it maintains a certain level of, let's call it detrained uh, ability. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I miss being able to know that literally at any time I could get off the couch and run 10 or 15 kilometers, I could do a fairly aggressive hour long workout. Like that's all gone now. Oh, a five is very comfortable. I'm sure I could squeak out a really ugly 10. Yeah. Um, but I I like that it's, these things come and go and you can get in shape and you can detrain and you can get in shape and you can detrain. I don't, I don't think it's, and it's kind of nice to know that you're at a lower level because you'll get something from a lesser I look back at some of the, my notes from old workouts and I'm like oh, I couldn't touch this now yeah, this, yeah, this is a yeah. different thing so yeah. but I, I think mostly what we're saying is uh, uh, you know we get questions about this it's a it's a big part of our lives is, is wanting to make sure that we have the health to maintain the sorts of these these adventures and these abilities and being able to say yes to things that come up yeah. whether that's a mountain or a swim or a run or anything 
and I think uh, for me, it's 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 a huge part of it is how I manage stress, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that could that that speak. I, w- I would assume that speaks to a lot of people's mentality is just having that ability to burn off some sweat and some extra energy and sleep a little bit better and that kind of thing. Right. So yeah, I don't feel too bad about devoting one episode in what's nearly a hundred um, for. Uh, for uh, exercise and, and a little bit on diet. So uh, if you really hated it, uh, there probably won't be another one for some time. So and, and if you like to send us an email, we're always around if if you want a sample workout or something or if there's a link that we missed in the show notes to something that you found interesting, uh, let us know. Otherwise, uh, as I mean, as always, the great at gmail.com. Cool. Let's uh, How about some final notes. notes. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll jump in first. I, my first one, actually my only one today, is uh, a recommendation of a book by uh, our good friend Zach Pina, uh, a.k.a. Dagbert on Instagram. Uh, Zach told me a while back uh, about a book that he was reading that he thought I might, I might be interested in, and it's called In Oceans Deep. The author's name is Bill Strever. And so I had this trip to Whitefish uh, to go diving up in Michigan, and I, so I downloaded the audiobook, which I've become really fond of audiobooks lately just for, for driving and flights and things. And... Um, I listened to most of it. I've got about a chapter to go, but it's it's really fantastic. Strever is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was a uh, he was a commercial diver for a time. He's also a marine biologist, I believe, um, as well as a journalist. And so he really knows his stuff about what goes on under the uh, under the surface of the sea. And so this book, he kind of dedicates each chapter to a different aspect of undersea exploration. So he starts out by talking about um, the descent of the Trieste, you know, the, the, the bathysphere that Don Walsh and, and Picard took down back in 1960. He talks about diving in hard suits, the history of saturation diving, um, kind of what decompre- breaks down decompression sickness. He talks about um, I, the chapter I'm currently on. He's talking about uh, the sort of niche market of submersibles that are built for, you know, really rich guys. Um, One of them's based in Vancouver, I I yeah, he, in fact, cast. he visits that. He visits uh, that. It's I can't uh, remember what they're Phil Newton, Newton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was supposed to go for a ride in that, and and the deal, like the setup with Nuvo, had fallen apart. And oh and yeah, too bad. And it yeah. looks like a absolute blast. Yeah. So it's a great, really wide ranging book um, about anything that has to do with undersea exploration. And the audiobook isn't read by the author. I'm not as keen on the the, the guy who's reading, but the the content is superb. And uh, so I highly recommend In Oceans Deep, and, and thanks, Zach, for that recommendation. That's a great recommendation, and uh, Zach's awesome. You should definitely be following him. Hit the show notes if uh, you missed uh, his Instagram handle, at Dagbert. Um, mine is a super easy one, but it's one that I get uh, questions when people see my camera around my neck. It's a, it's a UV filter. So I don't wear, like with none of my cameras, do I use a, a lens cover or a, a lens hood or, or a, a, like a cap? Yeah. I just find them annoying. They get in the way. Um, you lose them. You take, you pop them off the camera. You put them in one of your pockets, and then you can't find it. That sort of thing, or it goes into a camera bag, and you just kind of have them floating around. So, especially like with the Leica, which has a guarded hood that screws on top of the Q's front filter threads, I use uh, just a simple UV filter. So this is my my very simple, like usually about twenty dollars. I bought the Gobi or Gobe ones on Amazon. The B and W's I, I really like. I, I like all of their filters. Zeiss makes lovely filters, of course. I wouldn't spend a crazy amount on a UV filter. The idea is to just present a clean piece of glass in front of all that glass you paid for. But in the terrible scenario in which you bump it into something as you walk through a doorway or or physically, you know, it takes an actual hit on the lens, you're going to break that UV and not the lens that, hopefully not the lens that then requires a substantial repair and the loss of your camera and that sort of thing. So... Um, for those of you out there who are shooting and, and would maybe like to step beyond having to deal with lens caps or those little ones on the string that dangle around, right? All the, all the different options, go with a UV filter. Yeah. Uh, they're cheap. They work really well. And as soon as I got my cue, our buddy Brett Curry uh, had said, uh, you know, if you want, um, uh, you know, this is how I set it up. I run it with the with the guard and a UV and, and just forget that uh, the complicated cap or any of that kind of thing that you'd then have to hold somewhere or put in a pocket you know i'm already managing sunglasses every time i want to take a picture so that's my uh, that's my tip uv filters for your camera and yeah that's episode uh, 90 something so thanks very much for listening and uh, as always a huge thank you to hodinky for supporting the show you can hit the show notes via hodinky.com or the feed for more details 
You can follow us on Instagram at Jason Heaton and at J.E. Stacy, and you can follow the show at The Grey NATO. If you have any questions for us, please write thegraynado at gmail.com and subscribe and review wherever you find your podcasts. Music throughout is Siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you with this quote from the cyclist Greg LeMond who said, It never gets easier, you just go faster. <laughs>